Well, this week we're going to continue on in Ephesians chapter 4 with uh, looking at uh, this mystery we've talked about the last couple of weeks that the Lord has hidden in plain view, so to speak. We just It was there all along. We couldn't see it. And this part, uh, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, really refers to gifts. We talked about last week he gave gifts to men. Well, this week is going to talk about those gifts and what they're there for. Uh, the um, maturity that he is building in his children and how that's a part of that. So let's jump in and read Ephesians 11 through 4, 11 through 16 and see where the Lord takes us this week. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer uh, to be children tossed here and there by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness, by craftiness in deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love as we grow up in all respects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by, every, by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. All right, so he gave us these gifts, and he enumerated some of them here, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and so forth, for a reason, and the reason was to build up the body, and we are the body of Christ. You know, we talked about last week and the week before, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we are literally the body he lives in. In some respects, we could say this physical body because it's a temple of the Holy Spirit, but we will be his body throughout eternity. This is not something that's temporary. This is the goal that he had in mind when he said, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. So what I want to do at this point is kind of take a run at some of the overview of what we've talked about, starting back in the series on foundations and now moving through the book of Ephesians. Again, in Genesis 1.26, he said he's going to make us in his image and according to his likeness. That's the plan that he set out to accomplish, and he's still on task with that. But man sinned. We call that the fall of man, and he fell short of the glory of God. You read about that in Romans uh, 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So there was a problem, but that didn't take God by surprise. He knew before the foundation of the world that the Lamb would be slain. He knew that would be part of the process of finishing what he began when he began to make us in his image. So along the way, we talked about a few weeks back how God gave the law. And the law was not to give us a way into heaven but to prove that we were not good enough to get ourselves into heaven. You know, the, the scripture tells us that um, no flesh will be justified by works of the law in Romans 3, verse 20. All right, so what was it given for? Well, to reveal some things. It's like a bright light. You know, we talked about 
again a number of weeks ago how if you walk into a really dark room and maybe you're wearing a black outfit but it's got little specks of lint and stuff on it nobody can really see it but if you turn the bright light on then suddenly boom there all that stuff shows up or maybe you're wearing a white shirt and it's got dirt on it nobody can see it in the dark room but the bright light reveals that well the the law is that bright light that revealed the fact that we needed something besides our ability to be good in order to be in God's presence, in order to be acceptable to him. Jesus came after that, but it was known that he was going to come long before the law was given. And woven into the law and all throughout the Old Testament and the Old Covenant writings, we see that things that foreshadowed the coming Christ were built into that, like the the sacrifices that the nation of Israel were to give to God, uh, the cleansing of the temple and all those kind of things. They foreshadowed, you know, Jesus said, just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And so that was a foreshadowing of the fact that Christ would be lifted up. And God gave Moses that picture to show the people way back in the wilderness when they were leaving Egypt, even before the law was given or excuse me, right after the law was given, there was this picture about the suffering Messiah and how he made him who knew no sin to be sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So literally Jesus took our sin upon himself when he was on the cross. That's why there was a serpent upon that pole in the wilderness camp there, not a lamb. He literally took on our sin. All right, so no flesh is justified by works of the law, so what was it given for? Again, it's that bright light. It's there to show us something, show us that we needed something bigger than ourselves. Well, in Jesus's day, the Pharisees thought they were pretty good at it. They were self-righteous. They thought they were keeping it good enough to be accepted before God. And so Jesus came and he explained the real meaning of the law. You know, the law says you don't kill, but I say if you even hate your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. So he went to the deeper issue, the matters of the heart, the matters that the unregenerated soul uh, would deal with and how God was not just looking at the outward like man does, but he looks at the heart. You know, that's what one statement that was made by the prophet when David was chosen as being king. You know, man looks at the outward, but God looks on the heart. All right, so righteousness by faith was shown to be the way all along, even before the law was given, before the nation of Israel even existed. We had people like Enoch, and Melchizedek, and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, the, the patriarchs and the forerunners, the people that uh, walked with God, and they were his friend, and he would talk to them face to face. It's always been about faith. We, read, we can read about those people in Hebrews 11, along with many others. You know, Paul said in Philippians 3 that as a, as a Pharisee, one of those hyper-vigilant always do it exactly according to what they thought the law wanted us to do. And he said, as to the law, he was blameless. He, he always kept the law. But he said, you know, he was actually the chief of all sinners. And he says he gave up all of that, that business of being righteous before God based on the law, that he might have the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, he talks about in Philippians 3. Well, he realized that he had been either self-deceived or whatever, into believing that he was good enough before God. But 
he realized that he needed Christ when he met him on the road to Damascus. And he began to put, he put his faith in Christ and began to pursue a righteous life that came out of faith rather than that came out of the law. So when Jesus came, you know, we, we, we tend to struggle. And like I said, this week we're going to talk about maturity. Well, why are we still struggling? I, I mentioned a week or so ago about, you know, if we still sin, that's not a, an identity crisis. That's a maturity problem. Uh, we need to grow up. And in, uh, you know, in John 19, verse 20, Jesus was hanging on the cross, and he said, it is finished. He said, to tell us, to let, oh, uh, it meant uh, the, the debt is paid in full. I have finished the matter. There's nothing left to be done. He completed all that was necessary. And it says in Christ, we are made the righteousness of God in 2 Corinthians 5. And because of his taking our sin on himself, when we put our faith in Christ, he takes our sin, he took it on the cross, and he gives us his righteousness in exchange as a gift. All right, and it says also, we looked at a few weeks ago as well, that we were raised up with him and seated with him in heavenly places. You know, in Colossians 3, the first three verses, it says, if then you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above and not the things below, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I showed you this a couple weeks ago, I believe, just want to revisit it right quick, that when a person becomes a child of God, they receive the Holy Spirit at that moment. Because if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not his child. So that's the earnest, that's the seal of his promise. And he places his spirit inside of us. This is just a little, re little refresher in what I said two weeks ago. And then the Bible also says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. So not only is Christ in me, but I am in Christ, all right? So I am in the Son of God, and the Son of God by the Holy Spirit is in me. And then the Bible says that, the G that Jesus is in God. He is in the Father, all right? So if you remember, what that means is we are not only filled with God, we are completely encased in God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, inside and out. That's why it says uh, in this Colossians 3 passage, for your life is hidden with Christ in God. So you are with Christ, hidden in God. All right, so what does that mean for me now? If that's who I am now, what does that mean? Well, I'm secure. We talked about that. And I have a new life. I remember the old one. And the world's still going on around me with all of its temptations and deceitfulness, the scheming of men we read about. Um, <clears throat> so what is going on? What is, what is the struggle really based on that I face day in and day out? Well, like I said, it's a maturity issue. And immature children, you know, in the natural sense, have a tendency to not realize things that are dangerous for them. Like I did when I was a little kid one time, I stuck a a bobby pin, one of those metal things, you know, the ladies used to wear in their hair. I stuck it in one of those light, those little wall outlets. <laughs> Wound up with a little uh, brand on two fingers that I was holding it with where it bit me really hard. Um, actually burned my fingers. 
And uh, so I didn't know that was dangerous. It looked like a hole in the wall and had a little thing. I was going to stick it in that hole in the wall. <laughs> and bang, you know, I, it, it got me. Okay, that wasn't stupidity at that age. That was immaturity. Now, if I did it, did it today, that would be stupid because I know better, right? And so I don't stick little metal things with my bare fingers in wall outlets <laughs> uh, because I'm, I've matured some. Unfortunately, we tend to learn a lot of things the hard way. But those are maturity issues. Um, when I would do things inconsistent with what my parents was raising me to believe and understand about life, what it meant to be a respectful, kind, loving, uh, law-abiding, whatever citizen uh, and human being, um, if I broke those ideas and broke those rules, it didn't change my relationship to them. I was secure. That was my mom. That was my dad. They weren't going to abandon me. Um, yeah, they would discipline, sometimes even punish me uh, for various things. They were never harsh or cruel. Uh, back then, I thought they were being harsh and cruel, but they weren't. Uh, but the deal was they were helping me mature, sometimes through letting me just experience something um, so I would learn it for myself. And other times, they loved me enough to protect me and try to teach me just through instruction, don't go there, that's dangerous, you know? Like playing near deep water when I was small and that kind of stuff. So this maturity issue rises up. In Romans 6, 4, it says this, therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, we died with him. In order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. All right, so if we have died, been buried, and raised with Christ, now seated with him in heavenly places, he wants us to walk in the newness of life. He wants us to express this new life that's in us. But that, that just takes maturity to be able to do that. Now, again, because of the law, not just in the Bible, but the laws around us and the rules and the way the world tends to only accept people who perform according to some list of standards and requirements. We have a feeling, a resident idea in most all of us that, well, I have to perform to be accepted too by God. When in reality, we're learning to trust God, not perform for him. And that's a big difference. You know, so that when he asks me or shows me, you know, what he wants me to say and do, and I, if, I, if I don't trust him, I probably won't do that. If I have another idea about what would be better for me, that's the way I'm tempted to go. But over time, I've learned that even if the, the road he's leading me down appears to be hard or difficult or even painful, it's going to be better than the alternative. And why, why can I know that? Well, I can know that because the one who's leading me is trustworthy. He loves me. He's not going to take me somewhere that's going to be destructive to me and other people. He's always going to do what's right and what's best for us. You know, the, John 16, 27 says, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me, Jesus said. Well, and that word love there is not agape, you know, the, the high, lofty, 
uh, divine love is phileo, is the, the father himself has fond affection for you because you have fond affection for me. He really cares about us. He's not out to get us. And he wants us to walk in the newness of life. life. Well, another illustration I used quite a while back, I'm going to show you again today. Um, <clears throat> because God had something in mind when he started making us in his image, it was always meant to be that we would be able to express his life, not separate from him, but by being connected to him. You know, if, uh, uh, if you look at this flashlight right here, I've got a bunch of them. I'm sort of a flashlight freak. I hate to be caught in the dark. Well, a lot of technology and research and everything else went into what is now a flashlight. You know, start back with the invention of the light bulb, you know, and all the work that Thomas Edison and other ones did to bring that about. We have different kinds of light bulbs nowadays. This is an LED. It's not like what he made, the incandescent light, but a lot of work goes into that. Refining the metal, you know, the, this really super alloy in this one little flashlight I've got here and this polished lens that'll really focus the beam, you know, when you move this thing in and out. And, and it's got a switch on the back here that, that uh, activates the light. Um, a lot of work has gone into making this light, but without any power in it, nothing happens, okay? This wasn't, it, it could be a paperweight. You know, I could use it to hold stuff down on my desk. Uh, if it was a bigger one, I had, used to have, have some really big flashlights. So you can use those maybe for a billy club or something, but that's not really what they're made for. They're made to eliminate dark places. And so what he did is he came, like we talked about last week, this whole mystery is Christ, the powerful one, in you, the hope of glory. You know, Romans 1.8 says, not Romans, excuse me, Acts 1.8 says, uh, but you'll receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. So by putting himself in us, we now have the capacity to display his character and that's the witness he's talking about. Yeah, we, we tell people the gospel, but they need to see examples of Christ in someone. Uh, we saw God in Christ when he was here on earth. Now people get to see God in humans that he lives in. And that's a very important thing. That's part of being conformed to his image, what I call in real time. All right, so now with the power on the inside, the light comes on. But that, that power is in it, it's distinct from it, but now it's part of the flashlight. Okay, and so when Jesus comes to live inside, he puts his power in us. You know, Paul said, in, again in Philippians 3, he said that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, that if possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. And what he's saying is, I want to know him so well that I live in the power over the world that a person has who's already been to the grave and resurrected and seated in heaven. Because in reality, if you're in Christ, you've already been to the grave and resurrected with him and you're seated with him in heavenly places. And he's saying, I want to live that way now. I want to live as though I'm resurrected from the dead right now because in reality, in Christ, I already am resurrected from the dead. 
not physically, but spiritually, I'm a new creature and I'm seated with him in heavenly places. So sin or difficulties, bad choices, whatever you want to call them, uh, the Bible refers to things that are displeasing to God that we might involve ourselves in with several different terminologies. That's a maturity issue, not an acceptance issue. He doesn't accept me if I quit that stuff. But since he's accepted me, he's helping me learn how to not go that direction. It's Christ in us that helps us grow to maturity. And getting us to maturity is God's job. Well, let's look at the passage we started out with. He gave some as apostles, prophets, teachers. And what for? It says for the building up of the body. To bring it to the, to the mature man, to the fullness of the stature of Christ himself. All right, And the gifts that he's given us are not to make Christian rock stars. Okay, so if someone's a good preacher or an eloquent teacher or a gifted writer and whatever else. And because the world idolizes people that are good at stuff, we have a tendency to do that even in Christian circles. But in reality, we're given those gifts to help someone else and lift them up, not ourselves. Just like Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. So Christ came to lift us up. And when Christ lives in us, he's going to live the same way. And how did he do that? Well, all throughout his life and ministry, he would say, I don't do these things because I dreamed it up of my own initiative. He said, whatever I see the Father doing, that's what I do. And whatever I hear the Father saying, that's what I say. He trusted his Father so implicitly that whenever he was in a situation, when he opened his mouth, those people were hearing the Father's words. He was like an ambassador or an emissary. He, they were getting to hear what God the Father wanted them to hear. And Jesus was merely the physical um, means through which God was communicating. And the Bible says that when we saw him, he was the very expressed nature of God himself. Jesus even said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so that's so exciting to realize that, okay, now that Christ is in me, and I am in Christ, and we're all in God, you know, in the body of Christ. Uh, you have to be in Christ to be part of this whole deal. Uh, you don't, we don't want to forget the fact that, you know, John 1.12 says, but as many as received him, he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believed on his name. So it's not a wholesale, everybody's saved, but it is a wholesale, everybody's sin was paid for and can be saved. Uh, by receiving and believing in Christ himself. So these gifts that he's given to men was to build us up, to bring us to the fullness of the stature that belongs to Christ himself. We saw back in uh, Ephesians 4, uh, verse 13. And it talks about attaining to the unity of the faith, not just within ourselves, but among ourselves. And that's really important. You know, from the very beginning, Satan has had one agenda, and that's to uh, implement as much separation as possible. Separation between man and God, husbands from wives, parents from children, children from parents, neighbors from each other, nations against each other. The whole world is under the delusion of Satan to create division so that in the chaos, he can pretend he's God, but he's not God. You know, if you remember, that was his problem. He thought he was bigger than God and he was going to prove it. And he's trying to 
tempt all of us to do the same thing. And in order to do that, he creates a lot of division. Well, God is on the exact opposite trajectory. He is about unity. Uh, Jesus prayed in John 17, Father asked that they would be one even as we are one. This oneness, this unity, this, this uh, faith in the Father to such an extent that you can't tell the difference between him and us because we follow him so faithfully. That's the goal. Just like Jesus said, there's no difference between me and the Father. Well, that's what his goal is for us. And that it's not based on an outward set of rules. It's based on an inward relationship that's secure where we get to know him and trust him in such a way that his life is apparent by the way we live. Uh, we tend to look, uh, back, look at things very backwards in life. We think, well, maturity leads to acceptance. But in God's economy, its acceptance leads to maturity. And that's, that's just so different than what the world is teaching us. There's a passage that I want to go over real quick just as we end. And oddly enough, this is a passage you hear a lot at funerals. <laughs> but it's not just for funerals. There's a lot of truth in here. In fact, I think it's more for life than it is about death. And certainly it has implications about what happens to us after we're gone to be with the Lord. But let me read this to you in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45 through, 40, through 57. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. That's referring to Christ. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. Then the spiritual. The first man is from earth, or earthy. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. But as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Here's the mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise, be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For the perishable must put on imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on imperishable, uh, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting, of, uh, the sting of death is sin, but the power of sin is the law. See, the law doesn't give life. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this whole deal of being in Christ and Christ being in us is about us being new. You know, there, there'll be a moment when this body goes back to dust and I receive a new body and I dwell forever in a spiritual realm in the presence of my father. But in reality, at this very moment, I'm already dead, buried, and raised with him and seated with him in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, the Bible says. There we are. It's not physically apparent yet. That's what this passage is about. We don't see it yet, but it's reality. It talks about being changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Well, sure, 
I think when the Lord comes back or when a person dies and they go to be with the Lord, there's a change that takes place, boom, instantly. But the moment you receive Christ, you are changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And that change was forever, and it was secure, and Christ moved into you, and he has held you ever since. And he'll never let go, never forsake you, never leave you. And he is going to finish what he started in you and me and every, one of, uh, every other one of his children. Well, this is exciting that, to see that there was a purpose in all that God is doing. And yes, salvation is actually part of that purpose. But the end goal was what he stated in Genesis 1.26, where he said, I'm going to make you to be like me. That's the end goal. And that, that end goal is accomplished through Christ being in us and us getting to know him so well that we trust him in the moment to the point that when you hear me speaking and when you see me acting, you're actually hearing the words of God and seeing the actions of God being lived through my, my personhood. And that's the reason we're here. And that's why we continue to grow. And he continues to help us mature. And we study and we learn and we encourage one another not to be Christian rock stars, but to be Christian encouragers, to be children of God who build one another up to the fullness of Christ so that the whole body is healthy. Well, this is great to me. I just, I just love going over this again and again because it reminds me every day where I need to keep my focus, not on how can I impress God, but how can God impress me? How, what can I know about Him more today, about my Heavenly Father, that will help me trust Him more so that the life I live is consistent with why He even created me to begin with? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have accomplished through Christ that which is necessary to bring us to maturity. Thank you that you are teaching us more about yourself each day so that we will trust you more every day so that the life we live uh, displays the new character and the new nature you've placed within us uh, through that walk of faith as we build one another up and learn to walk in the truth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.